0: Hello, welcome back to the Wire podcast. I'm Ryan McQuarrie. I hope you're all having a good week. I am personally today. I'm going to be talking about the NFL playoffs, the conference championships were this past weekend. Um, We had one really exciting game and. And obviously, that's the the Buccaneers and the Packers game, and then the second game Chiefs Bills wasn't as good, um, but I'm gonna talk about that. Then I'm gonna be, be talking about the MLB Hall of Fame voting process and, and why I'm frustrated with it. Um, this isn't gonna be a super long podcast, but I wanted to come back here um, and talk about what what's been happening in the NFL playoffs and and just talk about the in the ML or the baseball Hall of Fame. So, let's go ahead and get started. Before before I get into it, I don't know if y'all can hear stuff. It sounds like a war is going on outside my dorm room, so I apologize about that. I'll try to fix up this audio as much as possible. I know there was, I think my last episode, I had the fan on in my dorm. That was a, a massive mistake, because it sounded, like, the audio sounded terrible. Uh, even after I, I, I doctored it up a little bit, it sounded bad, so... Apologize about that. It should sound good today. But let's go ahead and get into the first game: Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Green Bay Packers. Actually, let's talk about Bills Chiefs first because this game was not very good at all. Uh, the Chiefs won thirty eight twenty four, and man, what a performance by the Chiefs! So once again, they went down double digits, two possessions in a playoff game. And came out on top. So they they did that last year. Like in every single game of the playoffs last year, the Chiefs went down double digits or two possessions, and they won every single game last year. And and then they went up against the Bills on uh, on on Sunday, and they went down by nine points. They they gave up a field goal. The Bills got the ball first in the beginning of the game. They kicked the field goal, and then Minko Hardman muffed a punt and uh, the Bills got the ball on like the one yard line so they were able to score they went up nine nothing they missed the extra point so the Chiefs went down nine nothing early in the game and it, it looked rough now um luckily for them this was at the very beginning of the game like they had they hadn't even gotten the ball on offense like Mahomes had not even touched the ball at the very beginning of the game and it, it, it was a bit of a fluky uh, it, like the way the game started was a bit fluky with with Hardman uh, fumbling the ball. That's just unfortunate. Um, obviously, they were able to overcome that, uh, that big that big big play, big mistake from Hardman. Um, and then and then they just kept they just just roll through the Bills the rest of the way. And Patrick Mahomes was unbelievable in this game. I mean, the numbers themselves are great, but he made so many high-level throws off-platform in this game, um, Travis Kelsey, he had a big day, Ty- um, Tyreek Hill, he was, he was great, um, and, and I was just really impressed with the Chiefs offense, they even ran the ball pretty well, I mean, I mean they had uh, 25 carries for 114 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, not too shabby, two touchdowns, uh, Darrell Williams, yeah, he had a solid game, and then Miko Hartman he had he had one car- one huge carry, um. So that kind of that kind of inflated their rushing numbers, but I was really impressed with the with the performance uh, from Patrick Mahomes. He made so many big plays, and he, I'll, I'll read his numbers. I mean, he completed twenty nine of thirty eight passes for three hundred and twenty five yards, eight point six yards per attempt, three touchdowns zero picks, he had a QBR of 95.8, that's insane, and a a passer rating of 127.6, that is really good as well, um, Josh Allen had a very rough game, he was not good at all, and his numbers should have looked a lot worse, I mean, his field vision in this game was really questionable, um, and I was disappointed in the way he played, now his numbers looked, o o okay, um, they're not great, uh, but they definitely should have been a lot worse. So he completed 28 of 48 passes for 287 yards, uh, six yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one pick, had a QBR of 60.1, and a passer rating of 80.8. Now, that's not great by any means, um, but he had two, two dropped interceptions. So early in the game, um, he, he, for some reason, he just wasn't seeing these hang corners in the flat. Um, I don't know why he didn't see them. I don't. I. I, I don't. Really, I didn't really understand the thought process behind the decisions he was making. But he made two really bad throws early in the game. Luckily for him, um, they weren't picked off. They were dropped. Um, but those two throws were were they could have been detrimental to the Bills. Um, so I was really disappointing and disappointed with the way Josh Allen played. I thought he'd been pretty good in the playoffs. Besides that, um, he played really well versus the Colts. Um, you know he wasn't great against the Ravens, but that was because neither offense was very good in both defenses. Played extremely well, and the Ravens did a great job limiting um, the Bills' explosiveness in that game. So that it wasn't really on Josh Allen. Um, I will say Allen did a pretty good job, or he was pretty effective in the run game against the Chiefs. I mean, he had seven carries, 88 yards, 12.6 yards per attempt, or per carry. Not bad. Um, But the Chiefs offensively were were extremely good. Um, One thing I want to say, I want to give. Uh, props to Miko Hartman. So, like I mentioned earlier, he muffed the play early in the game. That gave the Bills possession inside, um, the Chiefs' five-yard line. So, they were, like, they were, like, a yard or two away from, from the end zone. It was a rough play, and it put the Bills in a great position to score, take a two-possession lead. And, and, and it would, and it put the Bills in the driver's seat for the rest of the game. Um, and you could tell me Cole Harmon was upset, like, obviously, he was going to be upset about that, I mean, it was a huge play, um, and it, and it negatively affected his team, he was on the sideline, I loved the, I loved the way everybody else on the team came up to him and was like, hey, it's alright, just, you know, block it from your memory, forget about it, you're going to make a play later on, um, and... And he did make a play. And Andy Reid kept calling his number, put the ball in his hands, gave him the opportunity to make plays. And Miko Hartman took advantage of that. He had two huge plays in this game. Obviously, that 50-yard run from him that was big. Uh, he he ended up scoring a touchdown in this game on a little screen. Um, so shout out to Miko Hartman for for bouncing back from that, um, for that just catastrophic play early in the game when he fought, when he mucked the pot. And shout-out to all his teammates for being supportive of him for me, for trying to lift his head up, lift his spirits. And, and shout-out to Andy Reid, the head coach, for calling his number, not going away from him, showing him that he has confidence in him, um, and putting the ball in his hands, allowing him to make plays, even after that big mistake. I thought that, that, that was an awesome storyline in this game. Um, and, and I love to see it. And Miko Hartman, he he, he had a, a big game, uh, besides uh, the fumble. Um, so shout out to him. I'm just, this was just such an, uh, a bad game for, from the Bills. I thought the Bills had a realistic shot to win this game because their offense is in- incredible. Josh Allen's been, he was a top five quarterback this year, um, played an, at an MVP level, um, although, he's not going to win MVP, but he played at an MVP level. Um, he was incredible. Stephon Diggs was absolutely amazing. I thought their defense was solid. Um, and, and I thought if if the Bills could potentially run the ball a little bit, and if they can limit the Chiefs' explosiveness, or if they can limit the amount of or the number of explosive plays the Chiefs have on offense, they'll have a chance to win the game. Uh, but their run game was non-existent outside of Josh Allen. Um, Devin Singletary did not have a good game at all. T.J. Yeldon, he he was efficient, but he only had three carries. So they they weren't getting a lot of productivity out of their running backs, and obviously they didn't score running the ball. Um, So that was a big issue. And then Josh Allen, just not being himself, that killed any chance they had of winning this game. And then, of course, you know, um, the Chiefs offense was incredible. Tyreek Hill had nine catches for 172 yards um, no touchdowns, but Travis Kelsey, he was the star of the show, had 13 catches for 118 yards and two touchdowns, he was incredible in this game, and he, he, he just, he ate against the Bills' defense, so he was great, and then defensively, um, who, Chris Jones, um, I thought, I thought he had a more productive day than he did, but Frank Clark, he was good, had two sacks, two tackles for loss, uh, two quarterback hits. And then Alec or no, who was it? Frank Clark. Um Legarious Mead had a solid day. One sack, one tackle for loss, one QB hit. Um and so I was really impressed by the Chiefs offense. And they they were really good this year, but they were flawed. Uh they were always consistent on both ends or both sides of the ball defensively they've had their ups and downs um and even in for the entire year they just their defense wasn't great it was solid but it wasn't it wasn't great and um Mahomes had his struggles especially late in the year where he didn't look, look like himself um and, and but the chiefs they just find a way to get it done in, in the playoffs they continue to find a way to to win games, um, and to put everything together uh, at just the right time. I'm so impressed by that. I- I'm so impressed with the way Patrick Mahomes is playing so early in his career. Um, what a what, what a run he's had um, for the past two two years. He's been incredible, and I can't wait to watch him play. Um, and, and, and I'm happy to see him in the Super Bowl because I think football – is better when he's playing, and it'll be interesting to see if he can capture his second Super Bowl, or his, well, second straight Super Bowl, second in his career, um, and he, he he's on his way to um, put it, to, to, towards putting together a, a pretty good uh, goat-level goat resume. All right, let's talk about Buccaneers-Packers, because... Um, this was the best game. This was the uh, the better of the two games, and I just want to say, shout out to the Bucks. Uh, <laughs> they played so well in this game. This, I, this was the mo- their most impressive performance in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, I thought they were really good on both sides of the ball, and in. And, and, and Tom Brady played poorly in the second half. He had, he had three picks in this game. And this was still uh, the Bucks' most impressive performance of the playoffs. And, and even offensively. Um, this is the best they've looked all postseason on offense, in my opinion. Um, but you knew what the Bucks had to do going into this game. You knew they they had to put pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And offensively, they, they just had to get going. And they had to put together some explosive plays. Um... And they had to shut down the run game. Um, that was a huge. Uh, that's a huge part of the Packers' offense. Um, their offense is really dynamic. Um, they can they can run the ball really really well with Aaron Jones and then Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon. They can come off the bench and provide um, provide a lot of value in the run game. And then offensively, they got they got Devontae Adams. MVS. He had a big game. Um, he, he's reliable, Al Lazard, they got, they got a lot of weapons offensively, and Aaron Rodgers has been so unbelievably good this year, I mean, he, he's the MVP of the league, um, and and he's been so incredible, and so their, their, their offense is so hard to stop, it's why I believe, uh, heading into the postseason, they were first in scoring in, in points per game, I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, they were like barely ahead of the second place team, but I, I'm pretty sure they were first heading into the postseason. Um, and their offense is really dynamic, really well balanced. Um, they can run shotgun. They can uh, put Aaron Rodgers under center. Um, they they can do a lot of things offensively. Makes them really hard to to defend. And the Buccaneers defense, well, just they they were killing the Packers in the first half. Um they were putting a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers really missed having David Bakhtiari in this game. Um he didn't play because of an injury and Shaq Barrett took advantage of that. I mean, he Shaq Barrett had three sacks, two tackles for loss and four quarterback hits in this game. That's incredible. I mean, he I think uh, the the Packers um Tackle that replaced Bakhtiari was, I believe, now I'm forgetting his name. Um, <laughs> I think it was Ricky Wagner. Is that correct? I might be wrong. Um, but whoever they had um, replacing Bakhtiari just could not stay uh, Could not stay in front of Shaq Barrett. Um, Barrett was too fast, too explosive, too powerful, um, too twitchy for whoever the replacement tackle was. And, and he ain't. I mean, he had such a productive day for the Buccaneers. In in the first half he was absolutely incredible. Um and in the first half, the Buccaneers offense was unbelievable. I mean they scored twenty one points. Um and their first drive was looked easy. Um Kevin King for the Packers the corner really struggled um defending Mike Evans. And then of course right before halftime, the Buccaneers ended up scoring on a on a big deep pass to Scotty Miller, um, and that that was just not great coverage by Kevin King. Um, when you're they were in, he was in a deep third, and when you're in a deep third, you can't get beat deep. Like your whole job in a, in a deep third is to cover um, a third of the field and to not let anybody get past you. Uh, he failed to do so, and in and the Buccaneers ended up uh, getting a huge play and ended up scoring right before halftime. That was a a, a huge play in this game. But I want to talk about the second half because that's where things get really interesting. So, Tom Brady in the second half, I think he threw three picks back-to-back-to-back. I believe that's correct. Let me look at the scoring. Um, Where is it? Recap. I'm looking at ESPN, trying to see where it is because I want to see what the... uh, Oh, here it is, play-by-play. Play. Like, I don't know how I couldn't see that. Um, so, uh, let's see. Did he have back-to-back-to-back picks? No. I don't think it... Well, actually, hold up. He may have. Okay. Yeah, he did. Interception, interception, interception. So, we had three back-to-back-to-back picks in this game. Um, in the second half. And and that killed the Bucks' offense. I mean, like, they couldn't really score in the second half because... Uh, Brady kept turning the ball over. Uh, I'd say two of them were his fault. One of them was a bad play call. It was like third and two, and they um uh, they ended up running a, a play from under center. They had Tom Brady um drop back like like seven steps to throw the ball. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like it, it's third and two. Like you should either run the ball or run something short. And I I would probably. If I'm gonna throw the ball, I'm probably gonna line up in shotgun in that situation, or just run a play where Brady doesn't have to drop back seven steps um, in that situation because you know the Packers are gonna are gonna bring some pressure there. So I thought that play call was was questionable. I don't really put that interception on Tom Brady because I thought it was a a bad play call, but the other two was were definitely his fault. Um, he, he just had some really bad throws in that game. Um, and the Packers, they took full advantage of that. I mean, they were able to score 16 points in the second half, um, which were huge. And they were playing from behind all game. Um, and I, and I thought Aaron Rodgers, he looked fine in the second half. Um, there was one play where they got into the red zone and he had a chance to run the ball to like, it was third. I think it was third down. Um, and he was escaping at running out of the pocket and he had a, it looked like there was a lot of grass, and there was, um, it, it looked like he had space to potentially run the ball into, into the end zone. Instead, he throws the ball, and it's an incomplete pass, and it looks like he may have been able to score there. Um, obviously, we'll never know. Um, and Aaron Rodgers, he, he's not like super fast, but he's not like, he's not slow. Um, he, he's a decent athlete and I'm just I'm really shocked that he didn't try to go for the end zone there so I thought that was questionable. Um I do want to talk about the biggest play of the game and that was the, the decision for the for the Packers to kick a field goal w- uh, with 2 minutes and 5 seconds left in the game. Um they were down eight. They have fourth and goal from the 10. Um and which and, and they were on the Buccaneers' ten-yard line, so they were ten yards away from the end zone. They have fourth fourth and goal. They're down eight. There's two minutes and five seconds left. They do have all of their timeouts, but they're down eight, and, it, and you need to go for it there because if you kick a field goal, you're down and, and you may, assume you make it. Um, let's assume they make it. If you kick a field goal. You make it, it. You're down five with two minutes left. You're giving the ball back to the Buccaneers to the greatest quarterback of all time, in Tom Brady, um, who's still playing at an extremely high level. Like Tom Brady, always comes through in this situation. And I, and, and even if you get the ball back, you know, you're still da- you still have to score a touchdown um, because you're still down a possession. And you're you're still down like you're down five points. You have to score a touchdown, um, if you get the ball back, and and so you're still gonna be down a possession. You're you're just gonna have less time. So you're like basically in the same situation you're in now. Um, if you get the ball back, if your defense can get a stop, and that's a huge if, like. <laughs> you, you you're you're playing a team whose offense is really really good, and they they have the greatest quarterback of all time, playing at a very high level right now. So like you, you're not guaranteed to get the ball back. I get they had had all three timeouts. Um, I don't understand why Matt LaFord decided to kick the field goal. Um, like I, I mean I get why like I I get what his line of thinking probably was. I just at the end of the day I see no argument for. For any team in that in that situation, uh, kicking a field goal there, it makes no sense logically. Like I said earlier, you're after you make the field goal, you still have to score a touchdown. You're making a, a big risk giving the ball to the other team. Um, your defense has to get a stop. You're banking on that. And then when you get the ball back, you're probably not going to have great field position. Um, you're not going to have all your timeouts. You're still going to be down 5 points, so you got to score a touchdown. And basically, you're in the same position, just you have less time. So, it made no sense to kick the field goal there. And I thought that play lost them the game. Now, something else I want to talk about is the officiating in this game. The officiating was... Hold on, let me... Sorry, I got a drink, and I dropped the cap. So, the officiating in this game was um, really relaxed. Uh, they weren't calling a lot. Um, they, were, they were letting... The secondary, they were letting defensive backs play physically. And then on the Buccaneers' final possession, when they were just trying to run the clock out um, and get the game over with, they they threw the ball on, I can't remember what down it was, but they ended up throwing on their final drive. Um, and they had, I, I think Tyler Johnson was uh, running in the middle of the field covered by I can't remember who the cornerback was or who the defensive back was but they pulled on his jersey and um it, it it was it was holding I think and they ended up calling a penalty it's a good call but they had not really been calling that all game um they've been letting things go they were just letting the players play and I like that but the issue with this call isn't that it was the incorrect call? Is that it it, it? it was so. It was like an outlier call, considering what they what they were choosing to call and choosing not to call throughout the duration of the game. Um, and this was just an instant inconsistent decision. Um, this really went away from everything else. They decided to call um during their first three quarters, so uh, a lot of Packers fans were upset uh, in this game, and for that call, about that call, and I get it, um, you'd like for the officials to be more consistent, um, but, you know, it, it was the right call, just, I think the refs should have let it go, considering they were not calling that at any other point in the game, um, so that was unfortunate, but the Packers, this loss is on them, this loss isn't on the refs, it isn't on Matt LaFour on it isn't all on him. You know, I think he made a terrible decision at the end of the game. Um but the, the Packers had a really good field position a lot in the second half because they had back to back to back interceptions and they just weren't able to convert enough. They they weren't able to take to take advantage of the field position they got in this game. And that's really unfortunate. And um I mean, that's really, really unfortunate. So, uh, after the first interception, they were able to score a touchdown. Then they got the second interception. They had to punt. Then they had the third interception. They had to punt once again. That can't happen. Like, you have to convert uh, those turnovers into points. They weren't able to do that. And then they weren't able to run the ball. That was a huge thing. Like, Aaron Jones had six carries for 27 yards. Jamal Williams had seven carries for 23 yards. And A.J. Dillon had three carries for 17 yards. They had 16 carries for 67 yards. Um, they, they weren't able to run the ball effectively. Um, and they weren't efficient in the run game. And then like they they gave up too much pressure. Aaron Rodgers got sacked five times in this game because they couldn't block um, uh, Shaq Barrett. And even, like, Jason Pierre-Paul had a big game. I mean, he had two sacks, two tackles for loss, and two quarterback hits. So, uh, Tampa Bay's defensive line played really, really well in this game. They showed up. Um, So, I was impressed by the Buccaneers. You know, in the second half, their offense wasn't as good because... Tom Brady was turning the ball over, um, but I thought their 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 passing attack looked more explosive. Their defense looked great. They put a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers, um, and, and I thought this was a great game for their for their defense. And in the first half, their offense was was excellent. I do want to put a little bit of blame on Aaron Rodgers because he had a couple a couple plays in this game where where he missed throws, and he had an interception right before halftime that led to the bomb um, to Scotty Miller. Um, he had that interception. Then Then he missed a throw to Devontae Adams in the red zone, and he's got to hit that. Um, but Devontae Adams has to catch it as well. There, there's a bit of blame on, on both parties in that situation. Um, and, and he had that one play where he didn't run the ball when he probably should have and could have possibly scored. So Aaron Rodgers was not his best in this game. I thought he played okay. He just had a, a couple of really really rough moments in this game. Um so so not the best game from him, but shout out to the Buccaneers, they're going to the Super Bowl and my uh pre-playoff Super Bowl pick looks really good. I had Chiefs versus the Bucks. I don't think I predicted a winner. I would have I would have picked um, Chiefs Bucks at, or Chiefs beating the Bucks over that top um, at that time, but I'm really I'm really happy that my pick aged well because last year my pick did not age well. I mean last year I had the Ravens playing the Saints, um, that did not work out at all. So yeah, um, can't wait for the Super Bowl. We got Chiefs playing the Buccaneers in Tampa. This will be the first time that a Super Bowl team actually host the Super Bowl, so that'll be fun to see, we got the greatest quarterback of all time, uh, facing off against the next young goat in um, Patrick Mahomes, this is the rematch, you know, Tom Brady knocked Patrick Mahomes out of the playoffs in 2018 when he won the MVP award, so uh, there's gonna, there's a lot of interesting storylines in this matchup, Tampa Bay, defensively they they are really really good which is really interesting because their their past defense is good despite ha- not having um elite talent in the secondary um I think Antoine Winfield is gonna play in this game I I assume he will he sat out against the Packers due to an ankle injury um I would assume he's gonna come back um their their defensive line's really really good their front seven as a whole is awesome Devin White's been playing so well in, um, in the playoffs. Uh, Shaq Barrett played extremely well. And he might have another big game because um, Mitchell Schwartz, he's been out with injury. And then Eric, was it Eric Fisher that went down with, it, with an Achilles injury against the Bills? One of their tackles got hurt. And he will not... Play during the Super Bowl, so we could see Shaq Barrett have another great performance in the Super Bowl. That'll be interesting to see. Um, and then, of course, offensively, the Buccaneers—they looked really good against the Packers. Um, if they can, if Tom Brady can protect the football, and not turn the no, not turn turn the ball over, um, their offense—I expect them to play well offensively against the Chiefs because the Chiefs' defense it is inconsistent um, and. I don't know what we're going to see from the Buccaneers' offense because, like the Chiefs' defense, their offense has also been pretty inconsistent in the playoffs. Um, So, we'll see what happens there. Um, I expect Patrick Mahomes to play well. I expect the Chiefs' offense to, once again, rise to the occasion. I think they're going to be explosive. Um, If they can protect Patrick Mahomes, not give up too much pressure to Zach Barrett, I think their offense is going to be fine. Um, I don't know, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball because the Buccaneers run defense is elite. Um, so, I don't, but but that's like, the, chief, the Chiefs don't run the ball that much. Um, which is kind of weird considering they, they ran the ball a ton the first game of the season. Then they kind of went away from that for the rest of the season. This, kind of, this is an interesting matchup. I'm going with the Chiefs here because their offense is more explosive. Patrick Mahomes is, in my opinion, the best player in the NFL. He's the best quarterback. Um, they have played so well in the playoffs. There's they were such a, a, a they were really good, but they were also really flawed at the same time during the regular season. They came into the playoffs. They flipped a switch and they they, they seem to get it done every time. Um, every every time the bright the lights get the brightest, they seem to figure it out. Um, I think they're going to come out victorious. I don't think the Buccaneers' offense is good enough to match what the te- what the Chiefs are going to be able to do offensively. So, I, I, think, I think the Chiefs are going to win. Um, and this is probably going to be close, especially if Mitchell Schwartz isn't able to play. Uh, but I, I'm really excited for this matchup. It's a, a really intriguing matchup, especially if the Buccaneers are able to run the ball um, uh, effectively. Um, I think that'll have a big effect on the outcome of this game, but I have the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and I have, I'll take Patrick Mahomes to win Super Bowl MVP. So, um, that's all I have for the NFL playoffs. Now I want to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame voting process and why I hate it. So, um, the Baseball Writers Association of America voted in nobody. For the Hall of Fame this year. So um, we had... I think there were 11 new... 11 new... Um, new Hall of Fame eligible players this year. Um, no one got voted in. Because you have to... you have I think you have to get at least 75% of the votes. To get in. Um, nobody reached that mark. And there were a record... 14 blank ballots. And... The reason why... Is because... Part of the criteria to make the Baseball Hall of Fame is character and integrity. And there were some guys on the ballot this year, like Curtin Schilling and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who have off-the-field issues. Or, you know, for, for Bonds and Clemens, it's more on-the-field issues because uh, they were a part of the steroid era. They allegedly took steroids. I don't know if Roger Clemens took steroids. Let me find figure that out. I know Barry Barry Bonds, I'm pretty sure never tested positive for steroids, um, I know he said that he did take it, but at that point, but he never, I don't think he ever, um, I don't, I don't think he ever tested positive for steroid usage, and even, even if he did, um, he took steroids starting in, like, the late 90s, and, um, the beginning of his career was Hall of Fame worthy, like, prior to the late 90s, when he likely started taking steroids, he already won three MVPs, had, um, really good production, he was already a Hall of Fame level player prior to the steroids, and then he started taking steroids, and, allegedly, and his numbers just went through the roof, I want to read off his stats, so, during the early two thousands, he was 30, Starting in starting in two thousand and one, he here. Let's start in two thousand. Jesus, these numbers are crazy. He oh oh my gosh, from ninety two to two thousand and four, he had an OPS of at least a thousand. That's crazy. Um, but starting in 01, when he was thirty six years old, um. He had this was his peak from 01 to 04. He had a four year peak where he just went nuts. Um, yeah, he, he had a great career prior to this, putting up crazy numbers offensively. But the, the for these four years, for this stretch of four years, his numbers were like uh, otherworldly. So in 01, he had um an OPS of 1.379, and an OPS plus of 259. In O2, 37 years of age, he had an OPS of 1.381, 268. In O3, he had an OPS of 1.278, and an OPS plus of 231. And then in O4, he just went to, he took it to another level, had an OPS of 1.422, and an OPS plus of 263. Um, and this was arguably, this probably wasn't a better season than his 0-1 season, because in one he had 73 home runs, and in 0-4, he, he had only 45 home runs, but what, what an impressive streak, and let's say that he was taking steroids during this time, let's take a look at his, at his resume prior to the steroids, so, in 1990, he won MVP, uh, had an OPS of 970, and an OPS Plus of 170, great season. Um, in 91, he had an OPS of 924, and an OPS Plus of 160, finished second in MVP voting. Then, for the next two years, he won MVP, and... Had, in, in 92, he had an OPS of 1.08 uh, 1.080, and an OPS Plus of 204, and in 1993, he had an OPS of 1.136, and an OPS Plus at 206, and then he would continue, like I mentioned earlier, from 92 to 2000, actually it was in, until 2005, he had an OPS Plus of at least, or an OPS of at least 1000, that's incredibly impressive, and Um, prior to steroids, he was a Hall of Fame level player, and look, steroids, I'm not condoning it, but just taking steroids is not gonna make you the greatest hitter, um, in the modern era, um, okay, like, it's gonna make you stronger, but it's not gonna make you, um, hit the ball more, um, at a higher rate, it's not gonna make you get on base more. And so I think, you know, I don't. I, yes, taking steroids is cheating. Um, but there's already players in the Hall of Fame that, that, that have been voted into the Hall that were that were known cheaters. Like there have been a couple of of pitchers that were known to doctor baseballs. There was a there were are, are a few players that are that are um, known domestic abusers. So if we're gonna use the character clause to not let steroid guys get in. Let's you let's be consistent with it. That's my issue. I'm all for consistency. If you don't want any of the ster- if you don't want any anyone with off the field with character issues to get into the Hall of Fame, I'm fine with that. Don't let anyone with character issues get into the Hall of Fame. You can't let some people get in and then say no if you took steroids you can't get in that's not right in my opinion i say let everyone in because there's already people in the hall of fame that have off the field issues and, and so i i just think that it's ridiculous for hall of fame voters to kind of act like they are the king of morality and that they're and they're in that they even though they've already allowed people with character issues into the Hall of Fame, they're gonna they're gonna keep guys like like Curt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds from getting into the Hall of Fame um, because they took steroids, or because of, it, for Curt Schilling, it's ridiculous that he's not in the Hall of Fame because it's it because people don't like his political views. And that's ridiculous. Um, I know there was also things he said about journalists, and I don't condone it, but. The Hall of Fame should be about whether or not these guys were great baseball players. And Barry Bonds was a great baseball player. Kurt Schilling was a great baseball player. Roger Clemens was a great baseball player, and they deserve to get into the Hall of Fame. And, and, and I, I don't, I hate the Hall of Fame voters will never let them in because they took steroids. And I, I get that. I get not wanting to let cheaters into the Hall of Fame. It makes sense. But I just want voters to be consistent with it. If you're gonna let some guys in, if you're gonna let some guys with character issues into the Hall of Fame, let them all in. If you're gonna um, kick some guy, if you're gonna keep some guys from getting in because of their character, you can't let anyone with character issues into the Hall of Fame. So since there are already people in the Hall of Fame that have off the field issues, I think you should let everybody else in as well. Kurt Schilling should be a Hall of Famer. Barry Bond should be a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens should be a Hall of Famer. Anyone who did steroids should be a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Um, And I think it's ridiculous that these guys are not in the Hall of Fame. That's my rant about about the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. And I can't wait uh, to watch the Super Bowl in two weeks. It's going to be fun. I hope you're all having a good day, and I'll see y'all next time.